Welcome to Balanced Black Girl, a podcast dedicated to mental, physical, and emotional health from the Black woman's perspective. Tune in to hear from Black woman health and wellness experts giving the approachable advice you need to help you feel your best. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Let's dive in. Welcome to Balanced Black Girl. Thank you so much for tuning in today. My name is Les. I am your host and I have the honor of facilitating these conversations in this here space. Currently on Balanced Black Girl, we are focused on all things connection. We're talking about relationships, building community, and today's episode is all about our professional relationships. Professional relationships can come in all kinds. I mean, I know for pretty much every job I've had, I've had my designated work bestie. I think we've all had (laughs) that work bestie who just, you know, is the, maybe the one person at work who gets to see a little bit more of you, who you can be a little bit more of yourself around versus everybody else. They just, they get it. You know, every job I've had, I've had some version of a work bestie. So your professional relationships can include them. It can include your mentors. It can include the people you mentor, people that you look up to, you inspire to be, those who are just in your general network and in your general circle. All of those relationships are so incredibly important. And today's guest is just the perfect person to explore the importance of professional relationships with. My guest today is Tiffany Dufu, who is the founder and CEO of The Crew. The Crew is an incredible platform. Their algorithm matches circles of women who collaborate to meet their personal and professional goals. She's also the author of the best-selling book, Drop the Ball, Achieving More by Doing less. Tiffany also serves on the board of Girls Who Code and Simmons University, and she lives in New York City with her husband and two children. So I was first introduced to Tiffany's work a little over a year ago at the Future for Us Summit. Future for Us is an organization founded by a good friend of mine that provides professional development resources for women of color. And At that summit last year, uh, Tiffany was one of the keynote speakers and just gave the most beautiful talk. She told a bit of her story, which she's going to retell for us here on the podcast. She talked about her experiences founding the crew and also about the importance of dropping the ball, which we also get into in this episode for so many of us who are women, who are black women, we are juggling so many balls. We have so many things up in the air and we do have this very real pressure to, to make sure that all of the balls are in the air at once. And what I really appreciate about Tiffany's work and how she shows up so authentically is really creating that safety, (laughs) talking to us about how we can drop the ball and let things go in a way that feels safe. Because just telling somebody, hey, do less, it's like, okay. And I mean, I'd love to, but what does that look like? But hearing about it from somebody who understands that experience and who shares that message in a really actionable and supportive and beautiful and empowering way makes all the difference. So in this conversation, we talk about dropping the ball. We talk about having different areas of our lives work in harmony. We talk about the importance of having our strong social and professional circles and our own crews. And I felt so inspired in this conversation to really reimagine how I approach connection, particularly when it comes to business, when it comes to work, when it comes to interacting with those who I really admire. Um, Tiffany's story is one that I just connect with so much. And it was just, it was such an honor to have her on the podcast today. So I'm going to get into the interview so that you can learn some of these gems. <laughs> not a gatekeeper. I'm not going to keep them all for myself. So I'm really excited to introduce you to Tiffany Dufu. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining me today. I am 
beyond excited to have you here. I actually was introduced to you last year when I heard you speak at the Future for Us Summit. And I remember hearing your story and resonating so deeply with it, learning more about your background. And so having you on Balanced Black Girl is such a treat today. Well, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So for those who have maybe not yet heard your story or who maybe have heard it, but would like a little refresher, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what brought you to the work you do today? Sure. My life's work is advancing women and girls. That's pretty much why I'm on the planet. I like to say that my life is simple because I already know what's on my tombstone and I'm just project managing my life backwards. Right now, I feel really lucky that I get to execute that purpose as founder and CEO of the crew. We match circles of women who collaborate to meet their life goals together. But every job that I've had, every dollar I've donated, every board I've sat on, every article I've written, my book, every social media post, except the few ones where I'm just featuring my kids because I think they're cute, (laughs) has been focused on how we harness women and girls' talent and ingenuity for the benefit of all of us. Uh, And it's been a really amazing journey. Amazing. I absolutely love that. And I love that you said that your purpose is simple. Your to-do list is simple because you have a main mission and you're working towards it. That really stuck out to me just now because I think for a lot of us, we feel like our purpose is this big thing outside of ourselves that we have to constantly find. And so I would love to hear your journey in realizing that it can actually be a very simple thing. I think this is such a great question because so often people feel a lot of pressure to find their purpose. (laughs) And I, I don't think that it's as complicated as we make it. I actually have never met anyone who was walking down the street, the skies opened up and some voice of God said to them, you are here to save the orca whales or, <laughs> or something. <laughs> you know, I, I believe that purpose is simply a commitment inspired by experience. So the question is, what experiences am I going to tap into that are going to lead to me committing to making a decision? A purpose is a decision to focus on X, Y, or Z. And I could story mine with any of you, and we could find multiple experiences that help you ladder up to your purpose. The experience that I really hone in on is the relationship that I have with my mom and my journey with my mom, who found out that she was pregnant with me when she was 19. My parents are from Watts, LA. Uh, It was a rough place. It was a rough time in the mid-1970s, but my mom had aspirations beyond what she could see. And so she persuaded through an uncle who was an army recruiter, my dad to join the military. I was born at Fort Lewis Army Base in Tacoma, Washington. My dad eventually went to college on the GI Bill, earned a PhD in theology. I grew up in a house with literally a white picket fence around it as a pastor's daughter, a preacher's kid, and not really appreciating that my parents had broken a cycle, pretty vicious cycle of poverty and addiction and violence in one generation based on that decision, that move. And so they really taught me that if you want something you've never had before, you're going to have to do something you've never done before in order to get it. My mom had been what people refer to as a stay-at-home mom for a long time. I I call them non-paid working moms because all of us are (laughs) working moms. Some of us are compensated for our labor. Some of us aren't. And unfortunately, when my parents got divorced when I was 16. One of the observations that I made that probably fueled the fire of my feminism was observing how all of the social, economic, political capital that I thought was our families. And of course at 16, I would not have articulated it in that way, but looking back, that's what it was. That that amassed to our dad after the divorce. It was not our mom's. She she did not, she hadn't worked outside of the home in a in a really meaningful way she 
didn't have the degrees, she wasn't the beacon in the community, didn't have the awards, didn't have the brand, as you might put it now. And unfortunately, she spun back into those vicious cycles of poverty and addiction and violence with her second husband. And it was a very painful journey for me to try to support her for most of my 20s. If any of you have ever tried to save someone, you've probably come to the same very difficult conclusion, which is that it's impossible to do that. Uh, each one of us is the most powerful change agent in our own journeys. Now, because I had parents who were trying to break cycles, they were very intentional about training us and teaching us and raising us in a different way than what they experienced. And one of the things that my parents did, I'm sure they read it in some parenting book, was they, they really believed in the power of affirmation. So every day, uh, my mother would tell me, as if it was the first time that she had ever told me uh, when I was growing up, Tiffany, you're so smart. You're so loved. You're so beautiful. Uh, which was quite annoying by the time you're 14 or 15 and you just want big boobs. Like, <laughs> they are smart and you're beautiful and you're loved. But, uh, you know, truth be told, that, that early conditioning has made a dramatic impact on the person that you're listening to, you know, right now. And I probably wake up every day, or not probably, I know that I do, uh, in honor of my mom and in gratitude to her for what she did for me. I'm just trying to get to as many women as I can to whisper in their ear, you're so smart, you're so beautiful, you're so loved, you can do this. And so if you're someone who is thinking, okay, but I've had a lot of experiences, I don't know, I've never, I haven't had something specific like that. Um, I think there's a number of things that you can do. I'd ask about the moments when you felt a sense of injustice in your life, moments in your life where you felt like something was just grossly unfair. How is this is just grossly unfair? What is happening? Those are often the experiences and the moments that can ladder up to purpose. One of the other exercises is to imagine your life very far into the distance, like so far that you're not here anymore, uh, and to imagine your funeral. It seems morbid, but actually in the midst of COVID-19, I think it's pretty pressing and relevant for us to think about what we're all doing with our lives, given that so many of our citizens and people around the world have lost theirs to this virus. For us to take a moment and really reflect, at the end of my journey here, what would I want a family member, a friend, a coworker to say about me? This is an exercise that was made popular by Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly effective people. And that's a great exercise. It helps you get out of the trees and into the forest, because if you're an A-type personality who's all about do, 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 you certainly don't want people standing up at the end of your life saying, you know, she got a lot of things done off of her to-do list, right? You want people to say something impactful. And so it forces you to think about well, what is the impact that I would want to have on, on people's lives. There are so many other exercises, but those are just a few, Lissandra, that I would encourage people to explore in, in their endeavor to get clear about their purpose, to curate their purpose, to decide on their purpose. Yes. Oh my goodness. There's so much that I want to revisit from what you just shared. Thank you so much for sharing that story about your family and your mom's journey and how that inspired you. The first thing is that I love that you started by saying that our purpose is a decision, that it's not something that just drops out of the sky and we find it because I've recently had a lot of those realizations lately and also learning how to disconnect occupation from purpose a little bit, not saying that they can't be related, but saying that, you know, they don't have to be so closely tied together that we can still have purpose and do things with purpose, even if maybe what we do for work isn't perfectly aligned with that. And sometimes I think in our brains, we feel like the two have to be deeply intertwined and your explanation of that exercise of what kind of impact do I want to have? How do I want to leave, you know, those I've touched? How do I want to leave them feeling just really, I think is a beautiful way of exploring that and articulating that. For sure. I do think that it's helpful to have your purpose and your livelihood aligned with each other. I think it's particularly efficient for women who often spend time taking care of other people, their boss, 
you know, their manager, their team, their family. Uh, it can be daunting to have a purpose that's separate and apart from your livelihood. Uh, but I also think it's important to be flexible. You know, I've been in different industries. I've been in education. I've been a nonprofit fundraiser. I've been in sales. I was chief leadership officer at a technology company. I'm now the founder of a technology company. You know, people sometimes ask, but you do all these different things. You're an author. Like, how do you switch? But for me, it's I'm just doing one thing all of the time, <laughs> which is advancing women and girls. And so it is important to you know, think about what you the impact that you want to make and how can you align your livelihood with that impact. But to be really clear, it doesn't mean that you can't be an investment banker whose yeah. life work is in advancing women and girls. I think that's where we get confused. Uh, it's, it, you can have a purpose and you can have a livelihood that seemingly isn't related, but for you can certainly be. Absolutely. Now I love that distinction that you made. I would also love to revisit, you know, the aspects of your family story when you were talking about your parents' divorce and how you realized that a lot of the, you know, social capital and standing and all of those things went with your dad when your parents split up and that your mom really had to start over. I'd love to talk about how that experience maybe taught you or showed you the importance of having those support systems or how we can have social capital in a way that is very positive. Because I think some people may hear that term and think that it could be a negative thing or like it's, you know, climbing or something. And, and I know that that's not the intention. So I would love to talk about the importance of that and how we can make sure that we're being intentional about that in our lives and careers. Oh, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with climbing. I'm not sure what the stigma is attached to climbing. I, that's maybe that's a separate podcast episode. <laughs> um, but but I certainly would would describe myself as someone who's climbing. And part of that has to do with um, I said something about my feminist flames. What my experience with my mom most probably drove me to was a nugget of my ambition. I basically always wanted to be in a circumstance in which I was able to economically care for myself and my children, regardless of my partnership status. Uh, and so I have always operated and behaved as if that was the case, uh, even when in reality, my husband's in finance and it's not, um, but, but, I, but I always operate and act like that. Uh, in some ways it's good, it's gotten me where I am. In some ways it's not because I never stop and I'm relentless, um, even sometimes when I need to take a break. So I'm learning, uh, I'm on my, my drop the ball journey is definitely a never ending. But one of the things that I think is really helpful, uh, one thing that I never really talk about, which is all of the women who came into my life to try to fill the void of my mom, her friends, women in the church that I grew up with. So I've always had sages. I've always had people who I didn't know they were mentors. Now I understand that, that I had a lot of mentors, but at that time I didn't know that language. So I would just call them sages and they helped me to navigate. Now I will say a couple of things. One is my youngest sister says that I'm actually really boring because I just never want to learn a lesson myself. Meaning <laughs> You know, if there's somebody who's already been there, done that, I'm happy to sit at their feet, take their advice and just do that. Uh, I don't have to learn the hard lesson myself. Uh, she thinks she thinks that's boring. She thinks that, you know, it's better to learn and fall flat on your face. Um, so I'm probably predispositioned to want to get to have a village and to cultivate a village. Um, but I think the other advantage that I have is someone I was doing a podcast episode with a, a psychologist who said that. I have a case of pronoia. Have you ever heard of pronoia? No, what is that? So we're most familiar with paranoia. Yeah. That is this concern, this worry, um, this obsession with people being out to get you. And this person said, yeah, you're the opposite. Like you wake up every day assuming that the universe is just going to conspire to support you and that everyone like wants to help you. And I a good said, problem to have. <laughs> I said, well, isn't that true? And he started laughing. He said, right, that's why you have it. <laughs> um, so I, I will say that I, I work with a lot of women 
who have a difficult time engaging other people in their personal and professional journey because one, psychologically, they perceive that journey as a solo endeavor and not a team sport. Also because they perceive that someone helping them is an imposition on the other person, that getting help from someone else is leaving that person out of something, meaning that they effectively have a scarcity mindset that if I'm taking, if I'm taking time away from someone, if I'm taking resources away from someone and they're diverting that to me, then, then there's something else in their life that isn't happening. And I don't want to impose on them. And so therefore I'm not going to ask for help in a twisted way. We convince ourselves that that is having a sense of humility in a twisted way, we think of ourselves as being sacrificial, especially if it's if it's connected to people that we love and we don't want to bother them or impose on them. But it's actually an abuse of those two virtues. It's actually not real humility. Um, when you when you're really humble, you can put your ego aside to get the help and the support that you need, and you also prioritize the world. Each one of us have our have our own gifts. We have our own talents. We have our skills, our abilities that are unique. We are here to serve and execute our, our own unique purpose. And when you cannot unleash your own potential because you need support that you're not getting and you're not asking for it, you are depriving the world actually of a solution that we likely need in order to make the world a better place for all of us. So it's actually not an act of altruism <laughs> um, for you to not get help. Um, it, it really is, I think in some ways, an act of selfishness that, that you would not ensure that the world and that the people who have invested in you, you know how many people have given me interview opportunities, have given me jobs, have opened doors for me, given me recommendations, written the forward to my book, someone wants to hire me, I have a, a group of people who have been talking to people for years, all of these people have helped to support me and send me on my way. And I, I'm here to ensure that the world gets a return on that investment that they made in me. I feel I have a responsibility to do that. And all of that drive came out of that experience, Lissandra. That was a very long answer. It was a long answer, but I loved it. And I also really needed to hear it. I mean, <laughs> even as being in a host position does not mean I know everything because I actually have very much been struggling with that very thing of asking for help and feeling like I'm kind of taking something from people if they take time to help me. And very recently I had a realization by recently, I mean, a couple of days ago, had this aha moment of, okay, I'm often in my feelings, feeling like people don't show up for me, but I don't give people the space or the opportunity to show up for me. I just keep it all in and keep it to myself and don't ask for help. And then when people don't do the thing that I never asked for, then I resent it. And I was like, maybe if I want people to show up for me, I should give people opportunities to do that and, and just see what happens. There's a term for that. I write about it in my book, Drop the Ball. The term that I use for that is what I call imaginary delegation. <laughs> yes. um, I, I use it in the context of trying to get my husband to do more around the house. <laughs> <laughs> this idea that you assign other people responsibilities, duties, tasks, you get upset or you're frustrated or you're angry or you're resentful when they don't do it or when they don't do it on spec but you never actually tell them that you assigned that to them. And when common sense prevails every once in a while and you think to yourself, well, I never actually told him to take out the recycling or I never actually asked her to take notes in the meeting or I never actually told them that I really use flowers today. You snap back at common sense. Well, can't he see that the recycling needs to be taken out? I mean, am I the only one around here who can see that it's overflowing? Well, when I was an associate, nobody had to tell me to take notes in the meeting. I knew what to do. Well, when she had a problem and she was bringing up with her boyfriend, I sent her flowers. Does she understand that when I'm going through what I need to go through, you know, that's, mm -hmm. and then we do that. And then we just end up going through the same <laughs> vicious yep. cycle. So it's really about breaking that 
Yeah. Uh, I love that, that term invisible delegation. That's good. That's something good to, to remember and to be able to call out when we're doing it, like naming it so that we know, Oh, I'm going back into that pattern again. Let's rewind and do something differently this time. So I, I, I would love to talk about drop the ball one, the book two, the idea of what it means to drop the ball, because I think for a lot of us who are maybe higher performers, very ambitious, potentially burned out, we love we would love the idea of dropping the ball, but it feels unsafe, right? So how can we take those steps towards getting there and remembering that it's okay to do less and that that's not necessarily a threat to our safety or well-being? Yes. I wrote a book called Drop the Ball because I used to be a person who was terrified of ever dropping a ball. I mean, that was the worst thing that I could do. It meant that I was failing to take timely action, that I was disappointing myself, other people around me who were relying on me. It also meant, as dramatic as it sounds, but I know that you'll get this, Lysandra, and and many of your listeners will, it felt that I was disappointing all Black people, as in... If I mess this up, they're never going to hire another Black person again, so let Mm -hmm. me edit it together. And I was able to miraculously manage this pressure for a huge chunk of my adult life and and felt very successful with the pressure until I had a life-changing event. Uh, For me, it was the birth of my first child, but I spoke to hundreds of women. It could be you finally got the promotion and realize it's a lot harder to be the boss than you thought it was going to be. It could be a diagnosis. It could be a viral pandemic, an economic recession. And you find yourself all of a sudden unable to keep all those balls juggling beautifully in the air. It's like the rug gets pulled from under you. And now the balls are rolling all over the floor. despite your A-type personality. And what happened to me when I had that drop the ball moment was that Armageddon never hit, meaning all of the things that I assumed that I was always terrified would happen if I ever dropped a ball didn't actually happen. No one called me to tell me that they didn't let, you know, they they weren't going to be my friend anymore because I missed the party or I didn't respond to the text message. I didn't lose my job. The police didn't come to read me my Miranda rights because I had a bunch of tickets piled up because I didn't need a car for alternate side parking because I was always late trying to relieve the babysitter. I mean, it was just, and so I started to question, why is it that I feel so much pressure to do all of these things when my life has become a bit of a mess and people still love me and I'm still hanging on and I'm not thriving, but it's only because I don't feel like I'm thriving. I have this beautiful new baby. And that's when I decided over time to appropriate the term and to really dig into why do I feel so much pressure? What is the source of that? And so for me, dropping the ball now, and I encourage everybody to embrace this now, is this idea of dropping the unrealistic expectations that we feel and really getting clear about what matters most to us, separate and apart from what matters to the people who raised us, advertisers, (laughs) marketers, and what is our highest and best use in achieving what matters most? Are we just going through the motions every day or are we really focused on what we should be doing on a day-to-day basis in order to get to where we wanna go? And then finally, dropping the ball for me always involves engaging other people in my success and in a collective success. And when I encourage people to drop the ball, I really encourage them to start with digging into what is the pressure that you're feeling? And usually we start with this idea of a job description, you know, because all of our roles, you know, we come into our lives playing different roles. If you were assigned girl, your first role was probably daughter. If you were assigned boy, your first role was probably son. If you have siblings, you are brother, sister, friend, student, worker, boss, manager, wife, husband. You know, we have all of these roles. And what I find that's just so fascinating and talking to so many women and listening to their stories is that even though we come from different parts of the world, 
different family configurations, different cultures, somehow we all ended up with the same job description for what it means to be a good mom or the same job description for what it means to be a good boss or a good worker. Everybody knows you're supposed to show up on to the office or on Zoom now early before everybody else, right? Uh, everyone knows that to be a good mom means that you need to be physically present when your child takes their first steps. I can't tell you the number of women who have come to me frustrated pre-COVID because they had to travel for work and they had a child who was a year old and they knew as soon as that train pulled out of the station or as new as that, that plane took off that the child was gonna start walking and they will have missed the event and it will have meant they were a very bad mom even though none of them can actually tell me that they remember who was there when they took their first steps. <laughs> but, yep. you know, this is apparently a very critical moment in someone's life. And so, you know, I, I think part of dropping the ball is about recurating those job descriptions um, by asking yourself a couple of questions. One, I encourage all of your listeners to do this. Just think about all of the roles that you occupy, write them down. I'm a mom, I'm a sister, I'm a granddaughter. I'm a worker, I'm a podcaster, uh, and then go ahead and put the word good in front of all of them because we are that, at least that ambitious. And then ask yourself two questions in relationship to each one of your roles. The first question is, what does a good ex do? What does a good teacher do? What does a good daughter do? And write it out as if it's a job description. And then the second question is, how do I know that that's what a good manager does? How do I know that that's what a good wife does? And really explore where, what the source of those expectations are. And I mean, spoiler alert, the answer to that second question is never going to be, well, I decided that, or I made that up. The answers to those questions are always, this is what was modeled to me. This is what I saw my parents do or my mom do. I grew up on the Cosby show. So this is basically what Claire Huxtable is going to be. And so that's, I'm going to, I was, I was going to be Claire Huxtable. Choosy moms choose. Everybody can finish that, that advertising. <laughs> so wh where that's coming from. And once you allow yourself to grapple with the reality that you in fact are not in the driver's seat of your own life, that you in fact are living someone else's story, if you're one of those A-type personality people, you'll be like, wait a minute, I've got to do something about this. Um, and really taking the time to recurate your job description, I think for each one of your roles is really important. And engaging other people in that exercise is critical, especially the people for whom they're a stakeholder in your success. It's important to engage your boss or your manager in those conversations, engaging your partner if you have one in those conversations. Once your kids are about five, six years old, they are perfectly capable of being engaged in that conversation. You know, my kids are older now, they're 12 and 15, but every six months, eight months or so, I'll ask them, can you guys have a meeting? And can you come to me with the top three things you feel like I should be doing in order to be a good mom? you know, because my relationship with you is really important. And those kinds of questions and exercises and engagement opportunities are most helpful, one, because you know what other people's expectations are, but also you realize nine times out of 10 that your expectations of yourself are way higher than other people's. And that helps you to drop the ball too. That helps you to relieve some of the pressure. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm so excited to do that exercise pretty much as soon as... <laughs> As we wrap up today, because it sounds so helpful, but to that point of talking about what people's expectations are of us and realizing that oftentimes the expectations we have of ourselves are so much higher is such a powerful point. It almost feels like those unsaid expectations that, you know, we don't know if they actually exist or not have a, a likely probability of being a lot higher than what the reality of the expectation is. And getting that clarity sounds really freeing. Absolutely. It's also why it's very helpful to have a separate group of people who you socially, you don't have a social construct around those expectations. This is why I founded the crew. 
because all of us have ambition and goals that we want to realize in our lives, but most of the people in our lives are vested in some way, shape, or form in our decision-making. And so having a group of people that you meet with on a regular basis who care about you, but are not your family, are not your friends, are not your coworkers, are not your neighbors who can help hold you accountable for what it is that you want to achieve is incredibly important. And the way that the crew works is that you apply to become a member and we effectively match you with seven other women in your time zone who can provide that accountability and diversity and objectivity that that we all need so that you're in a relationship with someone who's there to help fuel your success but you don't have a job description already for your relationship with that person. It's very freeing. Mm, That sounds incredible. And we'll make sure that we have the crew linked in the show notes so that people can check it out and apply. What I love about that concept and really what you're saying about having people kind of outside of those preconceived roles that you have is the idea that we can share with one another. We can share in community Something that I've noticed a lot recently or that I've seen a lot of people talk about is the desire to keep everything to themselves, right? If they have something they are calling in, they want to keep it to themselves or something they're working towards, they want to keep it to themselves out of fear that other people may sabotage it or not be supportive. And I understand that. And I have definitely experienced that, but I've learned at least for me, what's made the difference is not keeping everything to myself, but just having discernment and seeking out those right people to share and support and cultivate those things with. And it sounds like that's the experience that you're really creating for people with the crew. Yes, for sure. I think that also it is important to protect precious things, Uh, especially sometimes early on. I think if you're trying to determine, am I, is my behavior protecting the precious thing or am I not taking advantage and am I procrastinating and stalling really has to do with the progress that you're making. So if you've got this business concept or idea that's precious that you're not sharing with anyone and you had the idea a year ago, and you've made no progress on it, I'd say you're just using that as a crutch. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you know, you're like Sarah Blakely, who came up with the concept and idea of Spanx and held on to that concept because my goodness, she was a saleswoman who sold fax machines, I believe, and thought that people would think that she was crazy and didn't want for any negativity to impede on her dream but worked tirelessly behind the scenes to get that product off of the ground. Now that that's a success. So I think that's it. You know, how much progress have you made honestly on what it is that you're protecting? Uh, We'll tell you whether or not you really are protecting something precious that, that you're cultivating or whether or not you're just using that as a reason why you're not doing what you know you need to be doing. Yes. That is such a good question to reflect on that. How have you made progress towards it? I've had very similar conversations with people about podcasting, actually. You know, I get a lot of people asking me, how do I start a podcast? And they get very hung up on things like, do I have the right microphone? And do I have the right tech? And I'm like, okay, you're asking all the wrong questions. You're asking, you're getting hung up on the things that are Googleable. You need to take some time thinking about those things that aren't Googleable. Who are you speaking to? Who is your listener? What is your message? Why should they care what you have to say? Those are the things that you're working towards. Because if you're worried about what microphone to have, you're just pushing it out when that's something that could be an easy fix. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I'm nodding my head. You, the listeners can't hear that. I'm just <laughs> nodding my head up and down as you're talking. One of my mentors years ago, I came to her to ask her for advice. I was very worried about moving to a new city. There was a job opportunity in a new city that I thought was amazing, but I didn't know how my family would take it. If my husband would want to move, like transplanting our family would be a bit, very big deal. And she said to me, Tiffany, there's something that I've observed about you that you need to know. She says, you often worry about making decisions that you don't even have to make. She said, you're worried about moving your family for this opportunity. Honey, you haven't even applied to the job. You don't have a job <laughs> offer. She said, really, 
I believe that if you would take your time, energy, resources, and focus on generating options for yourself, as opposed to worrying about options that you actually don't even have yet, you would get further, faster. And when you told me, when you just mentioned that story about the questions, about the microphone, it's like, don't worry, that's not a decision that you have to make right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, just generate the options. Just how are you going to get to an audience? What is yeah. your message going to be? I love that. Oh, I love that example that you just shared. It resonates so much because I think we can definitely get, you know, what is it? The cart before the horse or, or however that expression goes, I probably just butchered it, but no, that's it. Y'all hear me, (laughs) 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 but I really love that, that reframe and that advice is so good. So right now on the podcast, we're focusing on relationships and the different types of relationships that we need to have whole lives. And we've talked a bit about the crew, which is your company that helps match women uh, with like-minded women to form in community. And I would love to talk a little bit more about the importance of our social and professional relationships and why they are so necessary for having those whole healthy lives. I think they're indispensable. Uh, And it's it's one of the, I'm really on a mission uh, to help more women understand that you were never meant to lean in alone. I was on the launch team for Lean In. And that really was inspiration for me actually in writing Drop the Ball, uh, was seeing women still approaching their journey as if it was a solo endeavor, not a team sport. You know, most of us, when we have a problem, the first thing we ask ourselves is, how am I going to solve this problem? I think that's the wrong question. I think the first question you should be asking yourself if you've got something you want to achieve or you've got a problem you're trying to solve is who's going to help me solve this problem? <laughs> you need to be looking up and looking out at other people and figuring out who needs to be in my network, in my circle. I have a crew. Uh, I've collaborated with a group of women for over a decade now. I would not be talking to you right now on this podcast. The crew would not exist. I would not have a best-selling book. I would not be where I am today without my crew. But a few years ago, I was having one of my storytelling sessions with a woman. I used to meet with women every Tuesday and Thursday at 9, 10, and 11 a.m. So I'd meet with six, sometimes seven women a week. And one woman was sharing that, Tiffany, I think it's great that you have a crew, but I don't think you appreciate or realize the amount of work that goes into what you're describing. And then she took me through the workflow of what would be required to find this amazing group of people who could hold you accountable and who would be diverse and who would be objective. And she started with, well, first I'd have to get access to the cocktail party or the conference or the event. Then you want me to awkwardly introduce myself to strangers. This is before COVID when like you could actually show up in an event and meet people in person. Now, so many of us are on Zoom, you can't even do that. Then you want me to schedule time, coffee, teas and lunches to meet with all of these people, to curate a group of them, and then organize regular gatherings where we're going to put forth our goals together and hold one another accountable. Tiffany, I'm exhausted just thinking about all of this. I have a full-time job. I have a mom with a diagnosis. I have a dog. I have three kids. I, I don't have time to find my crew. So we're really here to, first of all, take the work out of the networking, to take all of the work out of that flow, and to find you a group of women who are diverse, who are your peers, who also care about moving their lives forward that you can collaborate with. I think the other piece that we really don't give ourselves credit for is it's hard when you're in the midst of everything going on in life to just stay focused on your own ambitions, especially again when you're taking care of other people. We are 90% more likely to achieve our goals if we have both shared the goal with a group of other people or another person. We've written that goal down and we have regular check-ins with that person or group of people in order to hold ourselves accountable. But most of us don't have all those three things. Some of us have vision boards where we wrote it down and we imagined it. Some of us might've told someone, but then having regular check-ins, that's what the crew is all about. And I just think it's imperative that everybody has one. I mean, our tagline at the crew is every woman needs one. Uh, I just think it's so critical. And if you have a group of friends, for example, or a group of people that you're saying, oh, I think I've got a crew, you'll know if they're actually a crew. This is the crew test, 
okay, I want you to do. <laughs> the first is around accountability. When you are about to get on a Zoom or now that things have opened up, you're going to meet with your group. Do you feel a little sense of nickel of anxiety? Like, oh, I told them that I was going to secure that guest for the podcast the last time we talked, but I haven't done it yet. And, and are you feeling a little bit like even maybe bad that you haven't done what you're supposed to do? That's great, actually. That means that that group is holding you accountable for what it is that you want to realize. The second question is, if someone gives me insight or advice and I haven't taken it or I don't take it, do I feel like that's going to jeopardize my relationship with the person? Am I concerned about what the person would think about me? If the answer is yes, that person's probably too much of a friend or that person's not objective enough. That person, no one should, no one in your crew should be so invested that if you don't take their quote unquote advice, you feel like that's going to do anything to damage the relationship. And the third is around diversity. Who's in your crew? Did you all go to the same school together? Do you all come from the same background? You know, do you have different industries in your crew? Do you have different family configurations in your crew? Is your crew just, just single women if you're single? Or do you have women who are partnered? Is it that all of you have kids? If you all have kids, do you have some people who don't have kids? Do you have people in the LGBTQ spectrum? Do you have people from different industries, different racial, ethnic backgrounds in your crew? And if the answer is no, your crew is not diverse enough to generate the kind of innovation that we all need. That's just not, that's just not just for the workplace. Diversity and innovation is for all of us in our lives. And one of the biggest challenges that we have right now in the world is that we've taken tribalism way too far. And not enough of us are spending regular time with people who have a very different perspective than we do about life, about the world, especially when it comes to politics. And so I just ask yourself those questions to try to get at whether or not you've got a crew. And if the answer is no, please, please go to thecrew.com and apply. I've got your back. <laughs> Amazing. I think those are incredible questions for reflection. And it's something that I'm also, as you were describing them, I was thinking about and thinking, okay, yeah, I could probably expand as well in terms of who I surround myself with and share ideas with. And, um, that was just such a really great anecdote. So yeah, we will have the crew linked in the show notes to make it very easy for you all to find. Um, I would also love to talk a little bit about the difference between maybe having strong professional relationships as an employee versus someone who's maybe an entrepreneur. You know, maybe if you don't have those built-in coworkers like you do if you work at another company or in an office, although a lot a lot of people are still working remotely, what that looks like and how you can kind of combat some of the isolation that can come with being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, you're a little above my pre grade now on this one, Alessandra, <laughs> because I'm old. Uh, I, I'm old, which means that I used to be a telemarketer. I've had multiple jobs. I've worked in an office. I've worked in a workplace. So by the time I became an entrepreneur, I had a track record. You know, your brand is the conversation that people have about you and their interaction with you in real life. In, in real time, in, in person, it has nothing to do with your social following, which in my opinion is all a house of cards. Uh, one day these platforms are gonna fall and if you've got a real brand, great. If it's all been built up as a facade on Insta, I don't know what you're gonna do um, after that. And so I am one of those old school people who thinks it's really important to get experience like in a company or in an organization where people can see what you're made of and where you can grow and learn. If you are someone who's really bright and you come out, I don't know, of school or you're like, I'm done with the workplace, they're crazy, they don't honor me, respect me or whatever reason why you're done with that and you wanna become an entrepreneur, you need some street cred. So I would highly encourage you to apprentice whatever the entrepreneurial endeavor you're doing to apprentice with someone else. So for example, if you want to be the most incredible, successful podcaster in the world, I suggest you hunt down whoever that is right now um, and get on their mentorship docket and spend time with them. Remember though, I'm the person whose little sister said that I was boring because I never wanted to learn a lesson myself. Um, I just, I feel that I have an opportunity to win big 
to do big things. If I'm going to write a book, it's going to be a best-selling book. And in order for me to do that, if I've never done it before, my formula has always been go find the person, go find the literary agent who reps authors who sell national best-selling books and learn from that person and grow with that person. So that's just my formula is I don't, I guess I don't expect to know these things. <laughs> I already know that I'm smart and that I'm beautiful and that I'm loved. I don't need to prove that to anybody. I'm perfectly fine going to people who have been there and done that and getting the insight that I need to be successful. And so if, if you do that, you will have a built-in community. By default, you will be surrounding yourself with people that you can learn from and grow from. And that's how I run my company, the crew. That's how I live my life. There are all kinds of resources for entrepreneurs. If you have a venture that's venture backable, <laughs> there are platforms like AllRaise. There are platforms like Black Women Talk Tech. There's a platform called Female Founders Alliance. There's, there's so many networks and resources if you're an entrepreneur to really help gird you. And But the best, the best resource for an entrepreneur or other entrepreneurs. Um, so making sure that you've also got your crew of other founders who you can collaborate with, I think is really important. Mm, that's such good advice. And, you know, I really especially loved what you said about knowing who you are, knowing you're smart, you're beautiful. You don't need to prove that to anybody. And having that energy be kind of what also helps you attract that crew. I just, I think that's uh, like a just made me made me so happy. <laughs> I'm obsessed with Masterclass, uh, that that platform, mm -hmm. and people tease me because they're like, "Why are you watching eight hours of Ron Howard's Masterclass on how to, <laughs> you know, be a movie director? You're never going to be a movie director." But what people don't understand about Masterclass is that they're all, to me, leadership development courses. Yes. Um, listening to someone who has attained a very high level of success in what they do and listening to their decision-making and, and what informs their decision-making. And my last masterclass was with Sheila e, and she was talking about all of the people that she's had the opportunity to work with, particularly women. And she mentioned Beyonce and Gloria Stefan and JLo and she says, I attract powerful women because I am powerful. Yes. I just said, well, of course you do. Of, yes. of course you do. Um, oh. But that is such that that is such a place of abundance that many of us don't start from. We often start from a place of scarcity. Why? How am I going to get somebody to work with me? Why would somebody want to work with me? Oh, you know, that person is just so big and famous. And it's this this lack of sense of self. And, and people, my, my colleague, Amy Cuddy, she wrote this book called Presence. And you have to believe it in order to convince other people. And so one of the best strategies for attracting the people and the relationships that you need to be successful is to know that you're worthy, you have something to contribute, you also have something to add value to in terms of their world, and to explicitly ask for what you need. Oh, absolutely. That is like a beautiful mic drop moment. <laughs> I love that so much. Oh, that's such good advice. So Tiffany, as we look to kind of close things out, I would love to, to wrap up by just talking a little bit more about what dropping the ball is looking like for you these days and how you're continuing to pour into yourself. So how are you kind of prioritizing doing less in this moment or what does dropping the ball look like for you right now? Yes. For me right now, dropping the ball is all about sustainability and in micro ways um, because I'm trying to do all of these big things. And so sometimes I lose sight of little things like making sure that I'm getting enough sleep. Um, I usually have a candle lit. This is one of the benefits of working from home. One of our <laughs> members taught me the importance of sensory boundaries. So mm -hmm. the candle also adds an aroma. I've got lavender oil that is always within arm's reach. And I'm like multiple times a day kind of slathering myself with it. I've got these cards. Remember, my parents taught me the power of affirmation. We're coming full circle now, Alexandra. <laughs> and I've got these cards. They're little index cards where I write down anytime someone says something 
meaningful about me or they give me a compliment. Uh, this card that I'm holding up to you says, Tiffany puts our crew members at the heart of everything we do. This was from a member of my team. Uh, it was feedback that we were giving during a team offsite. And I've got a bunch of these index cards. I give them to my daughter to help me decorate them. She's at summer camp, so that's why that one was blank. Um, but when she comes back, she'll finish decorating them. And I flip through them multiple times a day to remind myself when I'm doubting or I'm frustrated that I'm powerful and that I'm making an impact in the world. I also have small ways of setting boundaries for other people. Uh, I, you know, I'm a busy working mom, uh, especially at the top of COVID. It was very difficult to adjust to working from home and having everybody here. And so I used my footwear as a way to communicate to my family what was happening. So I have a pair of slippers that I'm founder and CEO of the crew when I have on these slippers. I have another pair of slippers that are I'm wife and mom. When I have those slippers on, I am all yours. I have another pair of slippers that I had to go get that were the me slippers. This is like, I'm just, I just wanna be left alone. I'm drinking my tea, I'm reading my book. And whenever I come out of my bedroom, it's so funny now, my family, they, you can, I can see them looking down at my feet, <laughs> which one came out of the room. Yeah, I <laughs> um, love so it. Respond. But I, those are the kinds of right now for me that I'm practices that I've implemented in order to ensure that I'm achieving more by doing less. I freaking love the slipper idea. That is just, it's so brilliant. And it's just such a creative way to, again, maintain that constant communication. And it also talks or relates to what we were talking about earlier around communicating expectations so that, you know, your family knows kind of which hat you have on or technically slippers you have on what to kind of expect in that moment. And I just think that's so creative and fun. So I love that. Thank you for sharing. Of course. <laughs> so how can our audience keep in touch with you and where can we find out more about the crew? Yes, please go to the crew and it's spelled C-R-U, thecrew.com. I encourage you to learn more about what we do. Certainly apply to the crew. A membership is $499 a year, um, but I'm happy to give a discount to anyone who heard about the crew from Balanced Black Girl. So you can email me at tiffany at thecrew.com. That is my real email address. <laughs> um, and if you would like a discount, um, but most importantly, just, and you can find me on social media and all of that. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, but most importantly, just, you know, I talked at the top about my life lesson for my parents that if you want something you've never had before, you're going to have to do something that you've never done before in order to get it. And, and that's my, my final request. Uh, yes, reach out to me, but most importantly, do something that you've never done before. One small thing today, tomorrow, the next day in order to advance yourself and in order to advance others. Amazing. Thank you so much. We will have all of your information linked in the show notes to make it really easy uh, for folks to, to get a hold of you. But I also really love that advice that you just gave. And I, I encourage everybody to think about that and, and see how they can apply that every day. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Okay. After hearing from Tiffany, are you not just so inspired to move forward with purpose, with purpose for the greater good. Like that was how I felt after talking to her. Just, I was like, okay, what is, what is the purpose that I'm working towards? Who am I serving? How, how are we doing this? Where is my crew? <laughs> how are, how are we doing this? So if this episode resonated with you, please be sure to let me know, head to my latest post on Instagram at balance black girl podcast and let me know your biggest takeaway. Also, please make sure you follow Tiffany and her work. We'll have her information linked in the show notes and check out the crew. It is an incredible platform where you can be expertly matched with women um, of similar and different perspectives and interests to expand your horizons and, and have people in your corner to help you reach your goals. It's a really incredible platform. So we will have a link for more information about the crew also listed in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today. As always, 
This podcast would not be what it is without you and without your support. So thank you for being here. Thank you for your engagement. I appreciate you more than you know, and I will talk to you next week.